before we begin today's show. Hey, did you see Colin Morikawa's shot at 16 that set up the eagle that won the PGA over the weekend? That was amazing. What's also amazing is that our friends over at the PGA and we at ESPN Radio are giving you something big to look forward to in 2021. This is your chance to win a VIP experience to the 2021 PGA Championship at the world-class Kiowa Island Golf Resort down in South Carolina. It's a four-day, three-night prize package, and the winner and a guest get round-trip airfare and hotel at the Sanctuary, a five-star oceanfront hotel, two tickets to the PGA Chalet, and two pairs of Wanamaker Club tickets, two free one-year-long subscriptions to ESPN+, where you can stream live coverage of featured holes every weekend, and you get a year of live sports originals and more with ESPN+. For your chance to win, go to ESPNRadioSweeps.com to enter now through August 11th. Limit to one entry and one grand prize winner will be selected. I might enter this myself. That's ESPNRadioSweeps.com for official rules. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast where we talk about the NBA. We are sponsored by Goodyear. Drive always discovers possibilities. Goodyear, more driven. Joining us, we're recording this Monday morning, a little unusual for us. Uh, we usually record this Sunday night, so we're a little bit late getting up. But the reason we're doing this Monday morning is because I wanted to talk to these two guys who are both joining me from the Orlando bubble in different hotel rooms. Um, <laughs> because everyone's socially distanced. That's, just, that's the only reason why you laughed. You laughed there, Dave. Um, is Dave McMenamin and Tim Bontemps. What are you laughing at? <laughs> well, why would we not be in different hotel rooms? It's just kind no. of an absurd uh, intro. We, we have enough money at ESPN to have our own hotel room, I think, for me and Dave each, I think. I think we have right. to bunk up. Uh, I, just wanted to exp- I just wanted to make it clear that we were still practicing socially distancing there you go. Um, safety. Yeah, if it wasn't COVID time, me and Tim would be <laughs> up together. Well, um, let me just say that I have done podcasts in hotel rooms with both of you guys. Um, we'll leave it at that. Um, so we want to talk to you guys this morning. Um, you guys are working preposterously busy schedules. Um, you guys are just pouring in hours, uh, going to all these games, um, uh, you're not sp- the irony is you're not actually spending much time um, in the hotel. You're spending all the times at these arenas. Um, and you guys have been there now for three weeks? Two weeks. Three weeks? Two weeks? Probably feels like three weeks. Um, and so we, we really had a lot of uh, action happen over the weekend, um, both within the standings and you know out on the court. There was a lot of stuff going on. So I want to go over a couple of topics that I think are relevant. And you guys being there, I think uh, there couldn't be anybody better to talk to. And um, where I want to start off with um, is the team that Dave covers on a daily basis for the most part, um, the LA Lakers, who on one hand, have clinched the number one seed. <laughs> and um, that was like pri- the primary goal of their seeding games, um, in addition to finding some rhythm. Um, on the other hand, they have had some injuries and they've looked miserable on offense at times. And I don't really know. I don't have a history of knowing. We don't like have like, oh, yeah, every year in the seeding games, you know, certain teams do this. I mean, this is all so new. So I have no idea whether to regard their struggles. They are two and four in the bubble. But I have no idea whether to regard their struggles as no big deal or a sign of, of serious issues to come in the playoffs, which begin a week from today. Um, so let me just ask you this, Dave, on a scale of one to 10, your concern level with the Lakers right now is what? It's somewhere in the six to seven range, which is admittedly, I, I think a little alarmist for how, how how I usually view these things, but it's not just what's happening on the court and what's happening on the court is they're last out of the 22 teams in points per game, last in field goal percentage, last in three point percentage with the abysmal at 25%, uh, last in offensive efficiency, but off the court as well, hearing even to this day, you know, we're taping on Monday as of Sunday, we were still hearing in the media availability session that we had with 
Danny Green and JaVale McGee, and certainly LeBron has brought it up several times, uh, just how weird the bubble is. And I can appreciate that. Uh, I experienced it a little bit um, for, through my life existence these last couple of weeks. Uh, but continuing to talk about it now, to me, doesn't really serve the greater purpose, which is to recognize and embrace the weirdness and pursue this greater goal. Now, you know, I you could say that the players are being asked about the bubble, so they are just giving answers to those questions, and that's fair. Uh, but just my concern level, just by everything that's happening right now, it's higher than it normally be. Normally I'd be like, oh, these games don't matter. And then the games that matter, you know, the lights are going to turn on and LeBron's going to lock in and they're going to look like a cohesive unit. But they haven't looked like one yet. And um, that's why you're going to see them actually play guys against the Denver Nuggets on Monday. Because even though there's only two games left before the playoffs, they don't have the rhythm that they want to see yet. So rather than rest, they're going to put their guys out there in a game that doesn't matter. Uh, Tim, your scale of 1 to 10 on the Lakers concern level. Yeah, I think Dave's uh, – I'm probably with David about a seven, I think, with them. And and you're right. Like, coming in here, they, they win the game, the first game against the Clippers, even though it was a pretty ugly game. You think, all right, Lakers look pretty good. But ever since then, things have been pretty bad. Like Dave said, their offensive rating through these first six games is 97.9. It's four points worse than the next worst team. I mean, they're, they're just abysmal on offense at this point. And some of that is missed shots, for sure. Um, but some of it is their main guys also at times have not looked great. You know, Anthony Davis has had a couple of clunker games. He was very bad against the Pacers the other day. Um, LeBron in that Pacer game thought it was noteworthy. He had Malcolm Brogdon on him. Uh, he did not really try to attack the basket at any point down the stretch. It was just a lot of post-ups and kickouts for threes, which he did get guys some open looks. It's probably the best in the, in the history of the league at, you know, getting guys open looks on the perimeter, but you know, the difference between this Lakers team and those Cavs teams he was on, while they are way better on defense, they've been one of the best defensive teams here. You know, that Cavs team had Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving and J.R. Smith and Channing Fry and all these guys, Kyle Korver. Hello, all these guys uh, point of order. This team, this Lakers team has J.R. Smith too. It does have a different, <laughs> does have J.R. Smith, but a very different J.R. Smith. But it had all these guys who were really locked down shooters. If they got an open look in a big moment, you felt confident they were going to make it. Well, this Lakers team, has a bunch of guys that you're not sure what they're going to do, right? You have Danny Green, who's been horrible here, who probably will be better in the playoffs as a track record, but has been really bad. You have uh, KCP, who's been up and down here and now has an ankle injury. So we'll see what happens with him. You have Frank Vogel trying out guys like Deion Waiters and Town Horton Tucker, who hadn't scored a point in his NBA career until uh, I think three days ago and now might be in the rotation in the playoffs. Um, there's just a lot of searching around in the dark to try to kind of figure out where this team is at. And to Dave's point, it's just very surprising that we're a week away from the playoffs and, you know, the team with the best record in the West and has been, you know, throughout the year, one of the best teams in the league just kind of feels like it's completely searching for its identity with the playoffs at the start a week from now. Yeah. I, I would say, go ahead, Dave. I was just going to jump on that point, Tim. And in other years, I think this anxiety that Lakers fans are feeling watching this team would be, suppressed because oh well the the, the one seed they're gonna play eight seed and you know they're gonna find your rhythm in the first round of the playoffs right. and everything's okay. Well the eight seed is coming at them like a freight train in the Portland Trailblazers look like right now with Dame Lillard it can't be stopped. And on top of that, what we've seen out of them to underscore what we've already said and Tim makes a point about the clunker games for Anthony Davis. Through 55 games before the hiatus, Anthony Davis only had two games where he scored less than 10 points. In six games in the bubble, he's done that twice. Um, like, he hasn't brought his, his best basketball. Now, you'd say if you get the best out of LeBron, best out of AD, you're going to be fine. But best out of LeBron, best out of AD against this Portland Trailblazers team might not be enough. And then on top of that, you know, I, I actually had my man Matthew Williams from uh, ESPN Stats and Information give me some little tidbits uh, to use on this podcast. There's been 1,800, more than 1,800 five-man lineups used in Orlando. The worst five-man lineup is the Lakers starting lineup. They are wow. minus, minus 28 in 41 minutes in Orlando with LeBron, JaVale, Danny, Anthony Davis, and KCP. That, that I mean, again, small sample size, sure, but that's just not good. It's not encouraging uh, as they are heading into games that matter against potentially 
even if even if it's not uh, the Portland Trailblazers, if it's the Grizzlies or the Suns or the Spurs, you don't want to be playing that level of basketball heading into you know games that matter. Yeah, so I'm gonna I want to say six on the scale, but I'm gonna just say a few things. Six is a little high for a number one overall seed, or not overall, I guess, but number one seed in the West. Um, normally, your number one seed, you're you're gonna feel a little more confident about them. Um, there's certain things I'm not worried about. For example, Danny Green is missing absolutely clear wide open shots. Um, he is he has had this happen to him before in his career. Um, I have I have rarely seen a player who can get more intensely hot or more intensely cold than Danny Green, where I feel like he will never miss and then I feel like he will never make for a guy that I regard as a good shooter. So he is extremely streaky. Um, we saw this even last year in the uh, in the playoffs with the Raptors. There were times where you just the Raptors fans, when he got the ball, they just started to moan. Um, so I'm, I'm not, you know, and some of their overall offense is a little bit, they're just not making shots. I mean, they, they, they're generating some open shots and they're just not making them. Um, so that's what, that's something I'm not really worried about. I, I feel like, you know, that offense will come back around. What I am worried about is a couple of other things. One is that uh, I've noticed that LeBron is just having some difficulty against big wings finishing around the rim. And I'm, I'm not talking about like when he beats, you know, his guy on the perimeter uh, and he runs into Steven Adams or he runs into Rudy Gobert, um, you know, he runs into another center. I'm talking about like literally when it's his man, when he's posting up, like I, I've just, I've just seen him have some issues. I've seen him have some issues with OG and Anobi and Lou Dort. And um, uh, uh, Tim mentioned, you know, the other day against Malcolm Brogdon late in the game, he just didn't challenge Malcolm Brogdon. And like the thing about it is, is I have seen, I have seen this happen so often where he will go into a little bit of a phase where he's out of rhythm, and then and then you'll be like, man, there's something going on there, and then he will just fall into rhythm and just start killing people. And so I I don't want to really like say that's an issue. I'm just I'm just saying I've noticed it, and I know that other teams have noticed it. And you know, it's, if they feel like they can get away with single coverage on LeBron. Um, with, with, if they use like a, a physical wing. And I mean, you know, certainly, you know, with Kawhi Leonard, you know, he's a top level defender, but if they think they can get away with that. It, it changes the dynamic of the way the Lakers can play offense. And one of the reasons why their offense is struggling is because LeBron is not able to get in there and finish like he has been. So that's the other thing. And that's, that's another thing I'm just monitoring, but Dave, I have seen these quotes that you have reported over and over about them talking about how uncomfortable they are in the bubble. And there's no doubt in my mind that it is difficult. It is wrecking your rhythm. It is a mental challenge. Um, but the thing is, is that everybody has the exact same set of circumstances. Everybody has the exact same amount of practice time allowed, the exact same amount of people allowed in the bubble, the exact same level of resources. Um, it's, I recognize that it's hard, but I just reject it as an excuse. Um, when everybody else is in the same boat. And frankly, there's been a lot of other teams that have been going through more adversity than the Lakers have been. Um, and so the fact that they are talking about that leads me to believe that it's a bit of a mental thing or it's a mental crutch. Uh, the team that they're playing today, the Nuggets, I mean, these dudes have had more challenges in terms of available personnel than anybody out there. They, they played their first regular season game you know, in the bubble, and they hadn't even had five on five in practice yet because they only brought nine players there. And they have fought their way to the point where they now control their destiny to get the number two seed. I don't know if the number two seed matters, although as a quick aside, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to this. The home teams have been winning in the bubble. Like we all thought the home court advantage that doesn't matter. And, you know, it's it's been, I think, um, 60 games, 60 or 62 games out of the 88 that are going to be played by the end of the week. Home teams are winning 60% of the games. During the regular season, home teams won 55%. So home court advantage has actually meant something. I can't explain why. You guys are there. I'll take your opinion on that in a second. But um, So 
the Nuggets have sort of overcome. So, you know, the Lakers have to just sort of get past that. And I'm sure they will. But but one more thing before I check back in with you guys. The number one seed, which they celebrated a lot, um, I kind of get it because of everything that they've been through this year, dating what happened to China, then the terrible events of what happened with Kobe. Like, I understand all of that, that, like, when you when you fight for something for so long and you achieve a goal like that, I agree that you should take a moment to um, to to enjoy it. But the way they talked about getting the number one seed as if it was affirming of their of their of their whole team and everything, I would just say that the number one seed has never been less meaningful, and it's not their fault. That's not an insult to them. But I said there's no home court advantage and. So it sucks for the Lakers. They may have to play a red hot eight seed, and if the if the chips fall, you know, against them, they may have to play the Rockets in the second round, which will be one of the best four seeds you'll ever see. Um, so all of these things contribute to me getting a little skittish about them, um, and it just goes back to what I've said since literally for one year now, which is, I think they're a player and a half short, Dave, and. Their first two players were on my MVP ballot. I don't think I can remember many times why I had two players from the same team on my MVP ballot. So I'm not going to say that they're less than. But after that, they're outmatched in positions three through five or six on just about any matchup that they have. Um, and, you know, the Kuzma fans out there can square off with me and fight me on that. And there are nights. There are individual nights where Kyle Kuzma plays like an all-star, but good luck if you're counting on that. And so when I always look at playoff series, I always talk about margin for error. Well, this actually fits in very well with the Blazers because this season there were three kinds of Blazer games. There were games where Dame Willard and CJ McCollum both played well and the Blazers won almost all of those. There were games where one played well and the other didn't. And then it was 50-50 or less. And then there were games where neither of them played well, where you're looking at like a 10% win chance. That was it. If you, I mean, you, you could go on and on around, but if you looked at the Blazers this year in Washington, that would be the way it would be. Now, you look at the Lakers. When LeBron and AD play well, dude, they're winning every game. They're winning some high 90% because those guys are awesome. When one of them plays well and the other doesn't play well, it's a little bit more even, but their but their their team defense has been so good. Well, now in the bubble, when that's happened, one of them has played well and the other hasn't. All of a sudden, they're losing those games. And then there's the games which I agree will be rare, where they don't, where they both don't play well. Which, in my mind, Lakers have no chance, especially in a playoff setting. And that's not a that's not a profile that you want. It's a, that's a I'm describing the profile of the eighth seed, who just got you got Nurkic back. That kind of changes that a little bit. I don't want that to be the profile of the number one seed. So um, sorry for that filibuster, Dave. I just didn't know if you had any thoughts. <laughs> no, I, I do. And I, I think part of the Lakers' construction this year is it's a big two and not a big three, and they needed that third guy to be a rotating cast of characters. Uh, the problem is two of those characters are gone. Avery Bradley opted out of the bubble, and, and he was playing his best basketball before the NBA hiatus. He had a season high in that win against the Clippers and it was getting done on the defensive end as well. Uh, and Rajon Rondo and the, the team's record is superb when Rondo scores 10 plus points they might even be undefeated, something like, you know, 15 and 0. Um, and so, okay, who's going to be the guy that's stepping up in their place and it, it lessens the pool. And you have Kyle Kuzma who had a wonderful training camp and looked good in the scrimmages and has looked good in a couple of these games but he's kind of regressed to the mean a little bit in terms of consistency. You've gotten nothing so far out of Danny Green and KCP, and both of them have had you know knickknack injuries. Uh, Danny Green dealing with the hip. KCP had his uh, you know ankle stepped on in the Indiana game. He's going to sit out against Denver. Uh, and but where else do you go after that? Um, you know you're trying to add in Deion Waiters and Markeith Morris. And J.R. Smith, and see if they stick when you throw them against the wall. Quinn Cook had a really nice game against Indiana, but Quinn Cook. Basically right, I guess that's my point. Like, you, like everything you're making is good. Just for a typical number one seed, that's not the case. Right, right. You know? So, but I'm just saying that's the construction of this team, and it worked obviously to, up to a certain point. And right now, 
you know, basically stars are stars because of consistency. And their role players had found a way to, you know, the consistency wasn't necessarily there, but there was consistency in terms of someone would step up. And that has fallen off a cliff so far in Orlando. And perhaps it's possible, as we mentioned, Quinn Cook happened to be a star in his role the other night. Kuzma had a couple games so far where he looked that way as well. But it hasn't been consistent. And against some really good teams in the Western Conference, even if you get a game from LeBron, a game from Anthony Davis, that might not be enough to beat some of these teams that they had to beat. And, yeah, Tim, I'm um, just I'm just a little worried about about the potluck nature of of what they're looking at right now. You know, to 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 compete at the highest level. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge it's a huge concern. I mean, to Dave's point, the I just looked it up. The Lakers are 19 and one when Rondo scores at least eight points. They're 14 and one when they score 10 points, and like that that kind of underscores the point to a degree that they do have the capability to win if they have you know one or two guys who play well. But you know, I've seen Quinn Cook in the Western Conference Finals. It didn't go well um, with the Warriors. Uh, I specifically remember when Andre Iguodala was hurt. He played in Game Five in uh, in Houston and had a wide open three, and you know couldn't couldn't have missed it worse um, in the final minute of the game, and didn't look like he wanted to be out there. So, you know, the problem the Lakers have to Dave's point, like they have all these potential options they can throw out there, but I think the Town Horton Tucker thing really is ex- is exemplary of the situation that they're in. This is a guy who. I heard good things about going into the draft and people praise the Lakers for drafting him, but then he doesn't play all season and scores his first points in the bubble. And after the game, Frank Vogel says, yeah, this guy's making a case to be in the playoff rotation. So that's on a knock on Townhorn Tucker, who is a big rangy wing, who I think could be a rotation for player for them maybe as soon as next season. But if you're THT. at this point, if, if, you're, you know THT. What you're THT. if you're at this point, if you're at this point of the season and you're going to a guy who has not been a part of your team at all, and saying, hey, this guy had a good game. He might be in the playoff rotation. And then he, he played okay in the next game against the Pacers, too, so maybe he will be. It just That really just underscores, I think, the amount of uncertainty around a team that, to your guys' points, as you said, you never see one seeds with this much uncertainty around who's going to be in the rotation or what it's going to look like. Like it, You generally know the eight or nine guys at this point, all right, here's the guys who are going to play, barring injury, um, and here's what they're going to look like. Now, obviously, the Lakers have had some bad luck. You know, with Ronald getting hurt, obviously Avery Bradley was a very key piece for them. He's not there. Their wing depth has clearly been tested. But it, it's still something that if you're a Laker fan, I, I do think you would be concerned about, especially going into a, a playoff series potentially against the Blazers when you look at the Laker roster and, I mean, you already have Damon, CJ, Damon particularly who's on fire, and then you look around who's going to guard them, and, you know, it's not it's not the most appealing set of options. All right, so let's transition. So, all right, so Lakers are worrisome, but – just keep an eye there. You know, in 10 days, we could be like, wow, uh, LeBron's averaging triple doubles. AD's going for 35 and 15. And um, Danny Green just hit nine threes. I mean, that literally could be what we were saying in, in, in two weeks. But um, they got to do it for two months. And that's the concern is that even if they go back to being the Lakers that got the number one seed, my concern is that this team that we've seen for the last 10 days is still in there and could reemerge later, which is, I think, my point. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right. Um, we have one of the most fascinating things I've seen in the NBA in a while in the TJ Warren emergence in this bubble. Um, 
Tim, scale of one to 10, do you think TJ Warren is here to stay? Um, or is this just an incredible moment of glory for him that is fleeting? I would say probably an eight. And I would say that because I don't think he's going to become a player that's scoring 30 points a game next season. But his emergence in the bubble and the way he's playing, uh, it just underscores the leap he took this year with the Pacers, which probably a lot of people didn't pay attention to because he was on the Pacers. But, um, you know, they they got him in a trade from Phoenix, one of the, the more baffling trades in recent memory where the, the Suns wanted to clear some cap space. So they basically gave TJ Warren away with the 32nd pick on draft night. Uh, in large parts, they could sign Ricky Rubio to Indiana. And Indiana basically slides C.J. Warren in to replace Boyan Bogdanovich, who left to go to Utah as a free agent. And, you know, his improvement is the latest example of a player in the middle of their career going to Indiana and getting significantly better on the court. You got just on this team, you have Victor Oladipo, Demonis Sabonis, Thad Young, Boyan Bogdanovich, Justin Holiday has gotten way better there. You, you go over the years – in Indiana's internal player development program with guys David in the West had a bit of a career run. David West took David a, West. Took a huge leap. Yep. You you go through the course Roy of took a leap, like even though yep. he was there the whole time, he took a leap like you yep. know, year three or so. They they've just done an incredible job. And it's why they've been a small market team that's been good for so long. They've done an incredible job of building of improving the guys that they get, taking guys, getting them to a higher value, and then you know, sometimes trading them, sometimes they leave, whatever. But that's why the pace has been good. And TJ Warren has been really good. This year for the Pacers, particularly gotten a lot better shooting the ball. Um, you know, he's the reason why that team, along with uh, you know, Brogdon coming in, though he was hurt a lot, you know, really it was TJ Warren and Demonis Sabonis that kept this team where it's at or where it was at all season, still, you know, hovering around 50 wins. And, you know, yeah, he's he's on a very hot streak right now. And I I don't expect him to become, you know, one of the five or ten best scorers in the league necessarily. But this is a guy who went from a solid score to a really, really good. Uh, you know, 19, 20 point a game score. And I don't think that's going away um, when these guys come back next season. Yeah, I'll give him, I'm going to parrot Tim here. It's an eight for me because it's so real. And it's real, not just because of the numbers he's putting up, but, you know, some guys benefit. And obviously, I haven't talked to TJ about this. So I don't want to, or spoken to TJ about this. So I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I, I, just being around teams for so long, being around the game for so long, some guys benefit from, let's say, a uh, limited menu, right? Um, it's easier to make decisions if there's less things on your plate. And um, what TJ Warren has to do is play basketball, and that's it. And, you know, dating back to my days with Syracuse, where, you know, sometimes we go do a, a tournament on the road, and our guys would play really well because they're just locked in their hotel rooms and play video games and then going and playing playing the game on the court and going back to the hotel and play video games. And that's it. Um, sometimes that dis distillation of options um, can really lead to some, some wonderful basketball being played. And uh, listen, the, the biggest indicator to me of why it's real was down the stretch against the Lakers he's demanding the ball. Give me, give it to me. And here's the defensive player of the year, potentially in Anthony Davis switching on to me. And I'm going to pull up two feet beyond the three point line. Like it's no problem. Um, that, and, and, and he went at him like in the paint and scored on him in the paint. Yeah. <laughs> and, he did the same, and he did the same thing to Ben Simmons and the Sixers in the first game when he went for 53. I mean, he was, he scored a lot of those points right on Ben Simmons. Who's a guy who was certainly a mile on defensive ballot and was on a lot of other people's too. Yeah, it was like 9 for 10 or something like that against Spencer. So, like, one of the things that's blown me away watching him in the bubble, and, you know, if you'd asked me, if you th three weeks ago you said, what do you know about T.J. Warren? I would have said, well, he is a bit of a – he's a scorer, but he's inconsistent, and he has injury history, and he's not exactly known as a stalwart on the defensive end, uh, to put it kindly. Um, but, you know, if he's your third best player – you know, you might have a you know might have a, a playoff team. Um, if he's your second best player, I'm not so sure. As I've watched him in this bubble, I can't believe how confident he's playing with. The level of confidence that he's displaying is just like all NBA level of confidence um, when he gets the ball. And you know, I think part of what has happened is you know Sabonis. They knew Sabonis was out. He had a foot injury. He, I think, he left the bubble. Um, Oladipo 
was like sitting on the fence the entire time, wasn't sure he was going to play. And so like, <laughs> I think Nate McMillan, you know, you know, Malcolm Brogdon was recovering from COVID. And I think Nate McMillan was like, look, I'm going to have to build my, my game plan around TJ Warren coming into this because he's the only guy I can count on at this point. And I'm not saying that Nate McMillan was probably, uh, you know, doing fist pumps about it, but he probably did. He's like, this is what I have to do. And TJ Warren has just answered the call. Now, if you go back and look at his numbers from March, he had a bunch, or at least a handful, of pretty damn impressive games in February and March. There was a game against the Bucks where he went 16 of 19 and scored 35 points. He had a 30-point game against the Cavs, which whatever, um, uh, right, be- right before the uh, season uh, shut down. And he, he had a couple of other high-scoring games in January. He had a 36-point game, a 30-point game. And he had been ramping up a little bit. You were seeing some flashes of it. And so um, I, I just – if he continues to play with this confidence – and by the way, if you've watched, the Pacers are now running special stuff for him where they're like running stagger screens to get him shots away from the ball. And, and teams are starting to game plan for him, although I think it will be really interesting in a playoff setting because I assume wherever they play in the playoffs, Miami is who they're lined up with right now. Miami will – come in and we'll talk about Miami here in a second with them. Uh, Miami will come in with a game plan to stop him. And so they play Miami twice, once today and once on Friday. Now I got to suspect that that Friday game, especially if, if they're locked in as a four or five, we're going to see, we're going to see two way special. will be that. I don't think anybody shows anything. Um, but the Miami thing has extra spice because of the, Jimmy Butler situation. And so that's what's so fascinating is Jimmy Butler versus TJ Warren was something that we were like, you know, kind of interested in because it was a, an NBA rivalry. But at the end of the day, this is not exactly, um, you know, bird magic, right? Um, you know, to, to catch you up, they they had twice. They, they played in December and they got into a little bit of a, I think Jimmy Butler flagranted Warren in that game and they had some words and might've gotten on each other's chests. And then they played in January. Um, and the same thing happened. They got tied up, went chest to chest. Uh, I think Warren got ejected. Um, and then after the game, they ran their mouth at each other. You know, um, Jimmy Butler was like, he can't guard me, you know. I own him. I don't really have that right in front of me. He's, he's not even in my league. He's right. soft. If yeah. he was right. their, if I was their coach, I would never put him on me. That's right. Time. That's right. You're right. I should have had it in front of me. Um, and then I can't remember what TJ Warren said, but the thing that was classic was um, Butler uh, went on to IG, posted the game that they had, the remaining game that they had with them in March and circled it, like literally got the, the pencil thing, you know, tool out in ID and circled the, uh, the game. It was like, I'm looking forward to this game. And then unfortunately, literally it was like, it was the week week after it was the week after the shutdown. Yeah. So now we come into the bubble, they play each other twice. They're lined up as playoff opponents and this game that we are getting ready for, although I must say that Warren is uh, some, is questionable with a foot issue, but I would be stunned if he doesn't play. It would not be a great look for him if he doesn't play, but if his foot's hurt, his foot's hurt. Jimmy Butler has been out for three games with issues, including a foot injury, and but I think he's expected to play. And now all of a sudden, we have a very unexpectedly interesting TJ Warren versus Jimmy Butler showdown in a, in a relevant game. Um, so like, you know, Dave, is this, <laughs> this is like all of a sudden one of the stories of the bubble. Yeah. It's a delightfully unexpected gift that we've received. Cause yeah, you looked at that Indiana team. We were talking about Victor Oladipo in the weeks leading up to the bubble. Will he or won't he? And obviously um, the Sabonis injury seemed to take the wind out of their sails, but this is the complete joy that it is to be an NBA fan uh, to get these subplots. You know, I'm sure we're going to talk about another subplot that took over the league over the weekend um, after the Clippers-Portland game, but uh, this one is fun, and it, I think it goes without saying that by the sheer fact that Jimmy 
has reacted this way to TJ Warren, that in itself proves that he's a legitimate player. Because, you know, if, if he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a legitimate player, he wouldn't get those minutes, he wouldn't be getting out of the skin of Jimmy Butler, um, and he wouldn't have anything to talk about. And, and Jimmy, uh, having covered him up close last year in the playoffs for the Sixers, I've, I've really grown an appreciation for his game. Uh, Miami, in this strange world, the setup that we're in down here, it wouldn't shock me if Miami made a run, um, you know, really deep, like really deep, like NBA Finals deep. Um, Whoa! And they they have all the pieces. Man. They have the coaching. They have the pieces. They have the shooting. Like, why not? You know, you talk about Miami. You talk about Tyler Hero and uh, Kendrick Nunn being rookies. And what are they going to do playing in, in tough road arenas? Well, there's still tough road arena. It's got to make open shots. Um, and so I, I like Miami as, as a dark horse, but I, I think this is this type of game is what will you know get people like myself and Bontemps down here that the games are starting to bleed together a little bit. I think it'll jar our attention back where it's like, oh man, this is a fun one. Yeah, I switched my schedule to go to this game. I was going to go to Raptors Bucks, uh, and I'm I'm going to Heat Pacers because I I want to see Jimmy Butler versus TJ Warren. And, and I, you know, I, I am with Dave on Miami in the sense that, you know, they are going to be a team. Nobody wants to play in the playoffs. You know, certainly if they can get by the Pacers, assuming that is the matchup, there's still a chance Philly gets in there. You know, they've, they've played the Bucks very well this season. That would be the second round matchup. And that would be a really interesting um, battle between those teams. But I, to Dave's point about TJ Warren, you know, and the Jimmy Butler thing kind of, you know, validating him as a player. I just, like I said, I've seen him play a lot this season, you know, as somebody who is around the Easter conference for us. And I just think this is, this is a step above what anybody would have expected, but this is a continuation of what this guy did all year. And it's just, I I think it's a credit. It's a credit to the Pacers and it's a credit to him um, for the development that he's made. And, you know, I I hope Sabonis can come back and play. We haven't had any update on him anytime recently. It doesn't seem like, you know, that's probably in the car just based off the way this has shook out. But, you know, this Indiana team is, is tough. And um, it's interesting, you know, Tim, that Oladipo has like been willing to like yield because TJ Warren is playing the role that Oladipo yep. would have been expected to play. Yep. And so Oladipo like decided to play. He, he felt comfortable enough to play. He's had a moment or two, but he's basically said, all right, TJ. And I mean, I, I guess it's commendable. Like, you ride the hot hand. That's- I agree. I also not sure there's been much of a choice on his part because uh, you know Victor to this Victor's looked a little better, but he still doesn't look quite like the same guy he was before. Um, from an explosion standpoint, he did make a really nice move to split a double team and score late in the. Uh, I think it might have been kind of the, the icing basket late in the the Laker game um, on the left wing, but. But yeah, look, when when you've got TJ Warren coming in and immediately scoring 53 points in the first game and then ripping off over 30 in three of the next four, um, it's kind of hard for anybody to say anything, but like, all right, well, I guess you've got to have the ball. Um, so he's just, at this point, he's hardly missing anything. The icing basket was TJ Warren nailing a three over Anthony Davis. Well, that, one possession. That too. He had seven one possession. Points. He had seven. Today's right. point, he came down three straight possessions, scored seven points late in that game. Um Going right in, right into him at the rim, behind, making yeah. threes. I mean, it was, it was a hell of a performance. Yeah, I will keep an eye on that. Um, real quick, to Dave's point on on Miami. Miami is one of the most prolific three point shooting teams I've ever seen. Um, they don't have the star level three point shooters that like to compare them to like Curry and Clay, but from a one to nine man situation. I mean, even if they have to go to Myers Leonard, that dude can hit threes. Duncan Robinson is was born to shoot three pointers. I mean, I, what I was going to say, he might not be a star like Steph and Clay, but he he might be as good a shooter as them. I mean, he is. I mean, I, unbelievable. I, I've told this story before, but I don't think it was on the podcast. But um, Chet Kammerer, who was a scout for the Heat, he's sort of quasi retired. Uh, Chet Cameron was a scout for the Heat for 30, 25, 30 years. I don't know. And he's sort of a legend for finding guys. And, um, you know, he would go to, I don't know, 500 games and workouts and, you know, stuff over the course of uh, a year or whatever, a lot of them. And he lives in L.A. And Duncan Robinson um, had played at Michigan 
You know, like, wasn't like this guy was from nowhere. He was playing in the Big Ten, a uh, six foot eight guy who could shoot a little bit. And um, I think it was like Loyola Marymount, Dave, um, you're an LA guy. Um, and so Duck Robinson was having this workout and Chet Cameron just decides to drive over there. In fact, I think the story goes, if I'm not mistaken, he was stuck in traffic and was worried he was going to be late or something or something like that happened. And so he walks in there and apparently Duncan Robinson puts on one of the greatest shooting displays that Chet Cameron has ever seen. And this is an old school battle hardened scout. All right. He doesn't overreact to things. And he gets out in the parking lot and calls up Andy Ellisberg, the Heat's general manager. And was like, we have got to get Duncan Robinson. I don't care whatever else we do in this draft, get me Duncan Robinson. And it was like, no one had felt that way. Um, and it was really, you know, it really came down to this shooting workout that he had in front of uh, Chad Cameron. They signed him. He was undrafted. They signed him. But, um, but my point is, is that the three-point shooting ability that those guys have as a group, you know, Hero, obviously, super uh, hot, you know, none. Jimmy Butler, even at times, can get going. Um, that's the kryptonite for the Bucks, because the Bucks are designed to allow the three-pointer. And it's the Bucks' mathematics, and it's Mike Budenholzer's belief that you know that you can't do it four times out of seven. That we're going to defend you on the interior, and if you squeeze off, a, you know we're going to challenge your shots. But if you squeeze off a few extra threes and a few extra threes, we think we're going to win. Um, and it generated one of the greatest defensive performances in the history of the NBA this year. But it is their kryptonite. It it and and so that's why Miami from. The first week of the season, I'm pretty sure the first week of the season or the second week of the season, they went up into Milwaukee and won. One. Yep. Um, where we were first discovering who Kendrick Nunn was and first discovering how Poe Duncan Robinson was. From October, they felt like they had a good chance against them. So that's why uh, Dave, you know, Dave isn't off of his uh, rocker in, in saying that. In four, um, four, four second Duncan Robinson story. Four seconds, four, three, two. One. Rob Polinka, Michigan guy made a run trying to get him. Uh, the Lakers had already had their two-way spots filled, offered Exhibit 10, Jason Glushan, his agent, said, I want to find something else for my client, and so getting a two-way contract with the Heat. That's and they, could have been a Laker. And they and they chose they chose Miami, to go back to the point about Indiana and player development. I did a story on, on Duncan Robinson going there uh, a couple of years ago because he was, he was starting out his career as a Division three guy at Williams before transferring to Michigan. And um, they chose to go to Miami because of their history of developing guys in the G League. Uh, when you talk about player development, they, they said, hey, look, this is a place where I can go and get better. And you look at all these guys they've got, whether it's Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson, you know, Tyler Hero's a rookie, obviously, they drafted in the first round. But there's another franchise that's developed guy after guy after guy over the years. In South and, Dakota. In right. South Dakota, by it's, the way. Their G League team is in South Dakota. That's it's, right. You know, So, so it's, it's um, just another player development story all the way through. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. All right. So um, last thing, Dame Lillard, a fascinating weekend. Um, misses two free throws and a late three-pointer that costs him a game against the Clippers in a game that, I mean, I don't know how else you would define tanking. They, they had a back-to-back 
where they could have picked, they ended up sitting Paul George in one and Kawhi in one. And I mean, I guess Doc Rivers could present a case on the stand if I said it, but it obviously benefits the Clippers if if the if the Blazers get into the playoffs because the Clippers don't want the Lakers to succeed. They don't want the number one set. I mean, let's just be honest, okay? Well, the, they, the, they, the thing that backs up your point, Brian, is that at the end of the game, I mean, it's one thing to sit each of those guys in each of the games. At the, the end of the game against the Clippers or against the Blazers, the the Clippers had basically their third team out there and had Paul George right. healthy sitting on the bench watching. Right. They probably thought that the Blazers would win the game on their own when they decided to play that way. But just to make sure that they gave the Blazers the best chance, they they benched Paul George and the rest of their starters down the stretch of the game. They were playing like rookies and two-way guys and stuff. And um, after the game, uh, Paul George was asked, uh, how come you didn't play the last six minutes? And he goes, uh, load management. <laughs> with like a smirk on his face, but the Clippers deliver. Um, they, they did play with great competitiveness whoever won the court. The Dame had an off game. And so Pat, Pat Beverly, it was like a, it was like a, a second screen experience. You wanted Pat Beverly, who was not playing in the game, seeing him on the bench. And when Dame missed the two free throws, which could have given the Blazers a one point lead with less than 24 seconds left, Beverly is tapping his wrist for the old Dame time. He's mocking the the Dame time thing. And then when he missed the three-pointer that ended their hopes, um, did Paul George do the wave or did Beverly do the wave? They both did. They both did the wave. I only saw Beverly do it, but yeah. Okay. Mocking mocking the wave that he gave last year when he hit the the ultimate walk-off three from like, 40 feet against the thunder and i gotta i gotta say after the game dame dame's defense basically was receipts he pulled receipts out and he was like well i know that they know those they that stuff because i sent pat beverly home with a three-pointer 2000 what was it 2012 he's like i sent beverly home um what year? What year did Dame hit the three to send the Rockets home? Like 2012 14. or 13? 14. Because like I sent Beverly home in 14 on that shot, and I know Paul remembers last year when I waved him goodbye. He basically said, "I got the receipts to show that I can do it when it matters." And then Paul George, Patrick Beverly, and Dame Willard get into it a back and forth on IG, straight disrespect talk to each other on IG, just stuff and just sort of meet me out, you know, meet me at the pool at 11 p.m. was just stopping short of that. And then, although I think the posts were delete, deleted, I believe some significant others got involved on social media after that. And Dame backs it up the next day to put up 51 in a vital win, you know, for the Blazers um, as they uh, they have assured, pretty much assured themselves a spot in the play-in tournament. I guess they could collapse, but I think they're getting in that play-in tournament. Um, uh, Tim, are you enjoying this <laughs> as much, or do you think this is do you think this is good for the league? Oh my God, it's incredible! I mean, Dave and I were both at that game uh, on Saturday, and I think we both were equally stunned uh, watching Dame miss those free throws and then miss a, a game tying potential game tying three a few seconds later. You know, especially given the incredible run he's on. And then I was at that game yesterday, and you know, the Blazers looked like a team that was pretty gassed in in the second half of that game. Um, you know, they've been playing incredibly hard from the moment they got here. They knew they had to win a ton of games. Terry Stotts has been basically playing Dame playoff minutes since he got here. I mean, in that uh, in that Clipper game, I think he sat for something like 53 seconds in the second half. Um, yesterday against the, the Sixers, he sat for about two minutes in the second half. Um, yeah, let me, and they look- let me get, by, by the way, let me give you the minute loads since they came back. And granted, right out of the gate, they played Memphis and went to overtime. So not so good. 45 minutes, 44 minutes, 40 minutes, 41 minutes, 39 minutes, 40, 40 minutes yesterday. And the game went over Philly. Yeah. I mean, so they've just, they've been playing like it. They, they knew they were playing for their playoff last from the moment they got here and they've been playing like it. They've been playing really hard. Their games have been really fun. I've been, I've happened to be at most of them because they played a bunch of East teams and it's, it's been really fun to watch. But the second half of this game against the Sixers, you were kind of wondering if it was going to be a repeat of this game on Saturday. Uh, ben Simmons obviously is already out probably for the rest of the season after a knee injury. Joel Embiid hurts his ankle six minutes into the game. He's not playing. Um, and then you've got Josh Richardson flying around, scored 30 points, I think, or 28 points. 
um, hitting threes. Al Horford's playing great. Sixers are playing free and loose. They're 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 like, hey, let's go out here and win a game. Um, you know, and, and the Blazers were down a good chunk of the fourth quarter, and then Dame comes out and uh, they're down one with three minutes to, or four minutes to go. Comes out, hits a three and one. Next possession pulls up from thirty feet, bangs that home. Next possession comes down and dunks the ball. It's like just a just an unbelievable um, push from him. And you know, it's I, we talked about it earlier in the pod, but you know, you, when you got Dame and CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic, who's looked absolutely fantastic uh, down here in the bubble, coming off the, the devastating injury he had last season. Uh, Gary Trent Jr. has been on fire. Uh, Carmelo Anthony has hit some big shots for them. He's played well. Took um, you long enough to get the Mello, chief. Hey, listen, Mello. <laughs> as we talked about the other day, Mello has uh, has has really really surprised me in a positive way um, with the Blazers. I, I didn't think he was going to be able to hold up the way he has. He's in great shape. He's moving his feet better on defense than he has in years. Um, he's hitting shots for them. He's filled a role. Uh, the funny, th- quick aside on Mello, it was fun to see him last night talking about going to 15th on the all-time scoring list. Um, there was a clip that they showed of him in the locker room with the Blazers, and you could see um, how much it meant to him to be in this situation and playing in, you know, in important games again. And I was saying to Dave the other day, I mean, he, obviously he's a loyal Q's guy, but um, I was at Dwayne Wade's final game in Brooklyn, and I, I felt a ton of sympathy for Carmelo being out there with his friends and being the one guy who it seemed like wasn't going to be able to have the kind of send-off he wanted. I think it's been pretty neat um, to see Carmelo get this kind of return, you know, around the league, whether he comes back again or not, he certainly looks like he can. And I'll tell you what, from a drama standpoint, you have, you know, Dame obviously went crazy in the game after Kobe uh, passed away, first game back at Staples Center. Um, You know, there's there's all kinds of storylines, but it would be pretty incredible if after all these years, you know, we got another LeBron and Carmelo Anthony playoff series. you know, in, in, in a, in games that really matter. So for about a thousand different reasons, I, yes, I have thoroughly enjoyed this whole run and I really, really hope that Portland finds a way to pull this out because, you know, Dame and CJ and Nurkic and Carmelo against LeBron and AD and the Lakers would be awfully, awfully fun in the first round of the playoffs. Wouldn't be fun for the Lakers. Dave, Melo may have saved his career. <laughs> wouldn't because, be fun um, for the Lakers. Like, well, no, it would not Dave, be fun for the Lakers. But, but It'd be like, fun to watch. Though, like, like I, I know that every all you know, and there are a lot of Mellow fans, and I know a lot of them are beating their chest right now. This is not the same Mellow who was in Houston and Oklahoma City, and that's a credit to him. Uh, well, there's the a Mello reason why he was out there for ten, 10 games. Brian, come on, he was there for ten games. Well, but I think he, I he, think he didn't, that, didn't get a chance to I be. I think Mello. it's fair. I think it's fair. Though, I think Dave. that's. I think that's the point that he was so bad. I think and nobody else wanted him. I think it's no, fair though. On. I think it's fair though, Dave. I think it's fair though, Dave, that he has embraced this role in a way he didn't necessarily with those teams, right? Uh, I mean, I don't. So, eighty-two game season, you asked to prove yourself in ten games is ridiculous to me. Mello set the stage for him being out of the league for about four years leading up to that. I think I think you can say that, and then also say what he's doing now is impressive. I think both things can be can be fair to him. Well, and it's also crazy. Like, think about it. That, I mean, part of the reason, you know, part of the reason that he even got this opportunity in the first place is because the Blazers had a bunch of injuries and kind of had, you know, they had Nurkic and Zach Collins and Rodney Hood out. Um, I think Rodney Hood was out at that point, but they had they had two or three big injuries and they kind of needed something and said, "Hey, let's let's do it." And Dame you know, at the time was like, look, this guy's a Hall of Fame player. Let's bring him in. Let's have him be part of this part of this team. And um I, I just I give I give Melo a ton of credit for for coming in in great shape and making it work. And it, it's just like I said, it's been neat. It's been neat to see him get this chance to play again because it just it it was hard to watch him. You could see how much it hurt him to not, you know, be in the league and kind of like wondering if he was going to get a chance to have, you know, the kind of send off he, he wanted and be able to finish on his own terms. And for a guy who's you know, had a, a great career. Um, it, it's neat to be able to see him, you know, in this kind of moment and, and playing like this. And certainly timing, uh, you know, Roddy Hood still being hurt and Trevor Ariza opting out of the bubble to um, fulfill his custody with his, his child. Um, they, they need him. And, and actually both those guys not being here seems to have opened up the runway for both Carmelo and Gary Trent Jr. Well, to, Gary Trent Jr. 
talk about guys who have blown up in the bubble. And Dan, you know, Dan was trying to say that he was playing well towards the end of the shutdown, which is true. Um, but I mean, Gary Trent has been fantastic for these guys here. I think he's shooting close to 60% on threes and, you know, it was a real nice find by Neil O'Shea in the second round. Looks like he's become a legit rotation player for them. Really good shooter. And, you know, that it's like Dave said, I mean, if you look at the, actually, I should say you laid it out, Brian, you, you lay this out for the Lakers. You potentially have to go rockets or blazers, rockets, clippers. <laughs> That's it's not that's a, that's it's, a hell it's, of a run to the finals if you if you like, get like there. If the Lakers want to talk about being wronged or something being unfair, cosmically unfair, it's that they are going to get well. I, I nothing anything can happen still, but if it is the Blazers, they are going to get a team that is absolutely not an eight seed. No, they're going <laughs> to basically two four seeds in a row. Like the, the yeah. Blazers would absolutely be in that mix with Houston and Oklahoma City and Utah and Dan. Like they'd be right in that. And, Probably three and to so, seven mix for sure. Okay. And so that could have happened the regular season too. Like let's say that Nurkic was able to come back in February, like maybe somebody helped and hoped. And let's say Melo actually, you know, was able to make a bigger impact. Let's say that they did make it as the eighth seed, but they'd still say, well, you know, we still get to play four out of seven at Staples Center. Right. We still get to start the series at Staples Center and we're going to have a great crowd and you know, you know, we're going to, we're going to blow these dudes out of the water because, you know, the no playoff games in Staples for six years. And, you know, they don't even, I'm just, I'm just saying like the number one seed is just, it's lost its luster. It's, it's not, it's just cosmically not their fault. Well, let's just put it um, this way. The Bucks, the Bucks are going to play the magic uh, who are yeah. down Jonathan Isaac and maybe down Aaron Gordon in the first round. Though right. I think he's coming back soon and the Lakers could play the Blazers. So that, yeah. that tells you the difference yes. between the East and West right there. Yes. Uh, although I will say that, um, and I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't know the cumulative effect of, you know, the seeding games or whatever, but last, you know, Dame looked exhausted at the end of the game yesterday. Um, and when we got to the Western conference finals last year, I think Dame's energy level was low. Uh, and I think it contributed to the way the Warriors were able to limit him. Um, but, you know, we'll see. And he hasn't quite had the same wear with the time off. But I think that's a, that's a concern. But if you if you go look at go look at any package of Dame's, you know, baskets uh, in any of these games, he's had a 45-point game or a 43-point game and a 51-point game, a couple of 30-point games. You go, go look at the highlight package. Almost every time Yusef Nurkic is involved, either setting a screen for him or looking like he was going to set a screen and he rejects the screen. Or, I mean, he, getting Nurkic back has been a huge uh, thing for him as well. But um, uh, listen, I am all for trash talk. Um, I, am, I am hoping that you can crane your ear and get some trash talk from TJ Warren and Jimmy Butler today if there's any. Well, Jimmy's not a quiet guy. I have a feeling. I have a feeling if they're out on the court, we're going to hear everything he's saying. So it's yeah, going to be so, awfully fun to see. Um, but I, I feel like, on the other hand, Dave, the Lakers, if they play really well against the Blazers, if they are the eighth seed, it could reignite them in a way that, you know, maybe normally playing just a lazy one eight series might not. So. You can never really predict things. I mean, sometimes everything, you know, text winter, everything turns on a trifle. So just because we think something isn't going a team's way, things have a way of sort of turning on their axis a little bit. So that's looks like what we're headed for, but it, it could end up working out for the Lakers. You never know. 2014 Spurs, I covered them in the first round. They went seven games with a mediocre Mavericks team. Come the NBA Finals, they take down the Miami Heat in what's considered some of the best basketball ever played in NBA history. So there's still time. Celtics in 08, too. Went seven games with the Hawks. Then they won the title. So I'm a, I'm a big believer happened. in there's always time. It's one of my mantras. Uh, Carmelo is one of the defining uh, ways to prove that there are, there's always time. All right, about Dave, time Baylor, you play ten games before they cut you, but you know. <laughs> Let's put it this way, Dave. You can take a lot of positions where you can win. I would be careful taking the position that. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, let's put it, let's put it this way. I know LeBron agrees with you, and I know <laughs> other people agree. With you. Um, all right, uh, thanks, Dave. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Detroit. Back to Connecticut to set this up. 
Thanks for listening. We will talk to you later this week. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.